Well, good morning, Victory Point. A warm welcome to anybody who may be here for the first time or fairly new to Victory Point. Uh, I'd encourage you to stop by our welcome table table at the end of the gathering out in the lobby, and uh, we, we have a nice gift bag we'd like to give you and just would love to meet you and tell you a little bit more about Victory Point. Um, we, a few weeks ago, obviously, we kind of focused in on and celebrated and remembered the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, I, I want to fast forward in his life now this morning. Baby Jesus grew up, right? Baby Jesus grew up, and when he was about 30 years old, uh, he was baptized by John the Baptist. He was tested in the wilderness by the devil, and then he began what we refer to uh, as his public ministry, his public ministry. And he began his public ministry with a proclamation. In Matthew and Mark, it goes something like this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. In Luke, Jesus says this. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why I was sent. The reason Jesus came, hear me on this. The reason Jesus came was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Kingdom. The kingdom of God, in in Matthew's gospel, it's called the kingdom of heaven. It's a phrase that gets used all the time in Christian circles, maybe even overused. I find myself throwing that phrase out there all the time, the kingdom of God. And if I'm honest, and I'm going to be honest, if I'm honest, looking back, as I think back of most of my Christian life, whenever I've used that phrase, the kingdom of God, I think most of the times I really didn't know what I was talking about. I don't, I'm not sure I really ever completely, fully understood, what is this? What is this thing, this, this thing, the kingdom of God? You know, I always, for most of my Christian life, I grew up assuming that the good news is Jesus came to save me from hell. That's the good news. Good news is wrapped up in salvation. And that is good news, and that is part of the kingdom. But, but the good news that Jesus came declaring and proclaiming and demonstrating is the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. I used to just kind of equate the kingdom of God was, you know, that scene in The Lion King in Mufasa. He's sitting there with his young cub, Simba, and they're looking out over the horizon on Pride Rock. And um, the, the father says, look, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. I just like, well, that must be what the kingdom of God is like. That's what we mean when we say the kingdom of God. But there's more to it. So so what does Jesus mean when he declares that the kingdom of God has drawn near? What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says in Colossians that we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we've been transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his son? What does that mean? Well, that's what I'm going to try to answer this morning. That's what this morning is going to be about. I'm going to try to answer that question, what is the kingdom of God? So we're starting a new series. You see the graphic up there. It's called co-mission. Co-mission. Think about this. After Jesus um, died and was resurrected from the dead and before he returned to heaven, do you remember this moment where he gathered his disciples? He gathered them together and he gave them a mission. He, he gave them a commission. We call it the Great Commission. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 28. There, there's a mission that Jesus gives the disciples to be done together. To be done together with each other, but also with him. Because he does promise, lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to be with you. We're going to do this mission together. It's a co-mission of sorts. It's a co-mission. As you're going into the world, make disciples. 
Make disciples of everybody. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. To obey everything that Jesus said. To obey everything that Jesus taught. That's the co-mission. A mission that Jesus gives us to continue doing together until he returns. And, and so I, I love the imagery. I don't even know if uh, Brendan connected these dots. I'm guessing he did because he's very smart. But the, the, I love the, the, the visual of the geese. Because geese are kind of like that. They're all traveling on one mission in the same direction. And they share the load. You've probably you know, learned this about geese. That, that they take turns taking point. You know, and, and kind of kind of cutting into the wind and giving others a chance to rest and sort of draft behind them. It's, it's a great visual for, for a co-mission. And you guys, you've probably noticed this too and you've probably learned about this. Like they're never even, right? They're, they're, one side's always longer than the other. Do you guys know why that is? There's more geese on that side. There's more geese on that side. So Ron Brower, I don't think he's here. I think he's in Florida, but he told me that joke last week. So if he's listening, that was your joke, Ron. We got some laughs. Thanks for that. So in, in this series, Co-Mission, it's going to take us up, through the, up to Lent. We're going to explore this epic co-mission that, that we've been called to. And we're going to talk about how do we go about fulfilling this great co-mission that Jesus has given us. And if you are a victory pointer... If, if this is your home church, you know, you regularly find yourselves gathering with folks here. Um, for you, this is going to be an awesome reminder of, of who we are and how we try to be the church. You're going to get reminded of what is our vision and our mission and the values. And if you're fairly new to Victory Point, this is an incredible series for you to enter in on because you're going to get to hear kind of our, our DNA heartbeat, our pulse. You're going to get exposed to what we think is important and, and what we gather around as a church and, and how we're trying to live out this mission as a church. So it's good that you're here. I invite you to stick around through this series and, and get, a, get a feel for us. And, and there's this tagline on there. The adventure of living on mission together. And that's intentional. That word adventure is in there on purpose. You know, I, I've, I've, a lot of you know this. Um, Tori and I, uh, our daughter, JC, she's 18. She's on a nine-month mission trip. And she's going to four countries and three continents. Currently, she's in Guatemala. She writes a blog, you know, once every week or so. I know some of you read the blog. I'm very grateful for that. Um, and even leave comments on there. That's awesome. That's such a blessing. And if you want to know the, the blog site, just find one of us afterwards. But I, I read my daughter's blog week in and week out. And I'm just like caught up in just this spirit of adventure that, that she's having. You know, just in ordinary everyday moments, like in a jungle or in a coffee shop or in a school or playing with children or building something, just, just finding the adventure of the kingdom of God everywhere she is. And I read this and I'm like, man, I, I hope I have adventure someday. And, and you know, I, I don't want to live vicariously through her. We're supposed to be having adventures in the kingdom of God right here, right now. You, you don't have to go far away to have adventures of living on mission together. You don't have to go around the world to have adventures of living on mission together. We can have adventure on mission together every day of the week, every moment of our lives. And I want that. Life is a mission trip. I mean, consider Jesus' call to his disciples. He said, come follow me. Go where I go Watch what I do, do what I do. We're going to change the world. We're going to, that, that's Jesus' invitation. Come follow me. We're going to change the world. 
Now, don't you think that was an adventure? That was an adventure for those 12 young guys. I mean, they got to experience healing and casting out of demons and feeding of thousands of people with just a, a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. They, they got to experience walking on water and all kinds of things. Now, was it costly? Most definitely. It, they had to give their whole lives to it. But was it exciting? Was it an adventure? Absolutely. It was an adventure. Does your life feel like an adventure in the kingdom of God? Because I think it's supposed to. I, I think when we get together on Sundays, we should be overflowing all the adventures we had in the kingdom of God during the week to each other. I think it's supposed to be that way. And, and if, you're, if you're here this morning and it doesn't feel like an adventure, I hope this series helps you rediscover the adventure of being on mission in the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Lord, as we spend these next few minutes just kind of looking at some things in your word and encountering some, some truths, I pray that we won't miss what you have for us. We're going to open up the word, and it's living, and it's active, and it's alive. And I, I pray that um, we will believe that we are what it says we are, that we have what it says we have, and that, Lord, you will meet us in this place, in this moment. Um, we are listening. Our heart soil is ready to receive the seeds of the truth of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to remind us of our vision statement as a church. At Victory Point, our vision is simply this, to bring the kingdom of God to our family, our community, and the world. If you're a Victory Pointer, you should memorize that. You should be able to articulate this to anybody that asks, like, what are you guys all about over there at Victory Point? Tell them this. Okay, you should be able to speak this. To bring the kingdom of God to our family, our community, and our world. And you know what? We did not invent this mission statement. Okay, this wasn't something that, that we spent a lot of time thinking about and you know, coming up with. Because we just take our cue from Jesus. We just take our cue from Jesus. Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God. He, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. And since Jesus is the head of the church, and since he is the head of this church, we figure we should be about what Jesus is about. And Jesus was completely about his father's kingdom. Notice too the progression in there. You kinda, if, you, if you're savvy, you catch the progression, kind of Acts 1.8, right? When Jesus says, you're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so there's that progression. We're gonna start, start close and work our way out. We're gonna bring the kingdom wherever we are. So what is this? Again, back to that question. What is this? What is this kingdom? What is this that we are bringing? What is the kingdom of God? I just want to give us a, a really quick theological framework for it. And then a simple definition. There's a really smart guy that sometimes I read his books or watch some of his blog casts. His name's Scott McKnight. Okay? Scott McKnight is a theologian. He's a professor. He's a teacher. He wrote this book called Kingdom Conspiracy. Kingdom conspiracy. And what, what Scott did is he studied the Old Testament. He studied the Dead Sea Scrolls. He studied the writings of Josephus. He studied the New Testament, always looking to understand what is the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? And after this um, really thorough study, he concluded that there's kind of five ideas at play when we're talking about the kingdom of God and that all five are necessary. And I encourage you to take some notes if you're a note taker. Just, just write these words down. I'm gonna go through them quickly. We could probably preach a message on each one. Okay, but I just wanna give us a snapshot theologically of what the kingdom of God is. Number one, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God includes a king. 
you have to have a king. There is no kingdom without a king. As the story of the Bible unfolds, the the king starts with Yahweh, the God of Israel. And eventually Jesus is on the throne and and he's the king and and the father's the king. A kingdom has to have a king. That's pretty, pretty straightforward, right? A kingdom has to have a king. What are we looking at here? The presence of God is upon us. Like this. I wondered. I was ignoring you for a long time, but now I understand. Earl, thanks a lot. Let's hear it for Earl Teeman, everybody. Yeah. That's never happened. I think that's a sign for as we start a new year together that God is with us. Okay? His light is on us. Okay, so you have to have a king. Number two. You have to have a rule. And here's what I mean by that. Though you can't equate the kingdom of God with just the idea of ruling, you know, that would be sort of an incomplete understanding. We, we need to understand this king of the kingdom, he rules. He rules. But, but how does this king rule? How does he rule in the Old Testament? How does he rule in the New Testament? Well, he, he kind of rules in two specific ways. Number one, he rules by redeeming people. He rules by rescuing people. The, the ultimate act of, of redemption, you know, in the Exodus story or the ultimate act of redemption on the cross is part of what kingdom ruling is all about. And the king, the king also rules by governing. He governs. The whole idea, this is the whole idea of lordship. Okay, and we have to get this. The king's people submit to his will and they do his will. That's fundamentally important in understanding of the kingdom of God. Number three, when the word kingdom is used in the Bible, it always refers to a people. A people. The people in the Old Testament is Israel. The people in the New Testament today is the church. In the Bible, kingdom people are those who've been redeemed by the king and have placed themselves under the lordship of the king. For there to be a kingdom, there has to be a king ruling over the people. Number four, there has to be a will. The king has a will. He has a will. In the Old Testament, it's, you, you find that revealed in the Torah, which is the law of God revealed to Moses in the first five books of the Old Testament. In the teachings of Jesus, the king's will, you, you see it really clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. In Paul's writings, you see the king's will. When, when Paul talks about life in the spirit and what that looks like, the kingdom is a people under the king who has redeemed them under his lordship, following his will. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. And then lastly, um, number five, a land. There's a land. This is important. It's, it's kind of often neglected. But when you, you can't help it. When you read the Old Testament closely, you realize just how important this promise of land was to the Israelites. Um, there, there is no king who doesn't have a space to rule in. Like, like Scott McKnight said, a, a king with no space to rule in is just someone on the internet. You know, it, it's, the, the, there, there's a sacred space involved in the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, it obviously was the promised land. In the New Testament, it, it becomes this, this universal promise that we have that as the people of God, as we live today, as the people of God, as we take up territory and space as we concretely incarnate Jesus wherever we are throughout the world that that, that's the the kingdom land now you know it's not to neglect 
the importance of Israel, you know, in, in God's plans, nor to neglect the promise of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem someday. But, but these are the five elements, if you will, the, the five ingredients that, that come into play when we talk about this kingdom of God thing. They're all critical in understanding the kingdom of God. There has to be a king. There has to be a king who rules by way of redemption, who rules by being Lord over his people. There has to be a people, and the people are the redeemed people. Only the redeemed people can ultimately do kingdom work because only redeemed people are part of the kingdom. They, they have to have the will of God as taught by Jesus, and there has to be sacred space, church, family, territory, where we embody the will of God together on a, as a co-mission for this world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's really deep, that, that's really thorough, that's really theological. Let, let me just give us a, a simpler, more memorable definition. I would, I would summarize it this way, and maybe this is the easiest one to remember. In my understanding, the kingdom of God is simply God's reign. R-E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N. God's reign. The kingdom of God is wherever God is reigning. You guys remember that song? I think it was in the 90s, Our God Reigns. I think that was the only lyric to that song. Our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns. I mean, I mean but, 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 but that's, that's, that's the kingdom. The kingdom is wherever our God reigns. Now, now, what does God reign over? Well, the psalmist tell us this. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all, over all. What does God reign over? Everything. God is the king who reigns over everything. God sits as the king on the throne of the universe and his kingly rule, his kingdom and his reign govern all things. Hear me, understand this. The kingdom of God is not a destination. The kingdom of God is is not this place that we go to when we die. It's not like when we die, we go to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is more dynamic than that. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is kinging. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is reigning. God reigns in heaven, yes, but God also wants to reign on earth. Amen? Yeah, we're like Pentecostal. Amen. God wants to reign on earth. He wants to reign. Wants to reign. The kingdom of God is wherever God is in control. And if he's, so, so if he's in control of your life, that's the kingdom of God. That's part of the kingdom of God. If God is in control of this church, this church is part of the kingdom of God. Now the problem is, and you understand this because we encounter it every day, the problem is that ever since sin, ever since the fall, there is an enemy of the king, the devil, who's trying to establish his own kingdom here on earth. Now, the truth is, he's not a king. He's only a prince. And um, the truth is that he has been defeated, but he want, he's trying to go out swinging. Okay? He, he's been defeated. He, he's ultimately been defeated, but he, he, he still is trying to establish his own rule and reign on this earth. And his kingdom is in direct opposition to God's kingdom. Now, someday... His feeble kingdom attempt will be no more. It will be done. It will be over. And everything will be put back to right. And there'll be a new heaven. And there'll be a new earth. But Jesus, this is what the beauty of what Jesus proclaimed when he started his public ministry back to the beginning. 
This is the beauty of it. When Jesus came, he came declaring that the kingdom of God is here. Basically what Jesus is saying is you don't have to wait for the end to have the kingdom now. Okay, it's kind of a both-and kingdom. Like it will be fulfilled and you know, ultimately complete when Jesus returns, but you don't have to wait for that. We can have the kingdom of God. It can be at hand. It can be in our midst. It can be right now. Jesus came to show us what God's reign looks like in our everyday lives in the midst of sinful, broken, fallen world. In the midst of chaos, God's shalom is possible. And Jesus taught us to pray. We prayed this together at the very beginning of our gathering. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Take what's true of heaven and make it reality on earth. Jesus says that can be possible. You can have that. He he wants us to lean into that, to press into that. God's kingdom can can be brought to bear. His power can be brought to bear right here, right now, even in the midst of fallenness, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of sin. It it can be applied and experienced. So what what does that look like? What what does God's reign look like? Well, if, if you look for it, there's pictures of what it can look like all throughout the scriptures. I mean, if you start reading the scriptures with an eye for it, you hear descriptions all over the place of what it looks like when God's kingdom reigns, when, when God reigns. I had fun looking at one this week, Isaiah 65. Um, it's not going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to read some select verses. But anytime you, you come across something in scripture that talks about a new heaven, a new earth, that's a snapshot. That's a picture of God's rule and reign of what it is supposed to be like and can be like and will be like. So in Isaiah 65, for instance, verse 17 says this. Isaiah says, look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. No one will even think about the old ones anymore. So be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. It looks like this. This is what the kingdom of God, this is what God's reign looks like. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. 100 will be young. In those days, people will live in the houses that they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain. Their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are a people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed. And I will answer them before they call to me. And while they're still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and I'll answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb, they're going to feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. Isn't that kind of weird? The lion will eat hay like a cow. But the snakes will will eat dust, which I love because I hate snakes. So the snakes, like, they're just going to eat dust. And in those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Children will not die young. Old people will grow old. You know, like, like there's even that, like, like 
When you work at a job, you will, you will earn your wage and you will profit from it. You know, you, you get a fair wage. You'll have your own home, your own house. The earth will not get hurt anymore. I mean, it's such a wonderful picture of the kingdom of God. There, if you look in the prophets, there's all kinds of pictures like this. Zechariah chapter 8 talks about like that the... the, the for some reason, you keep talking about older people. The older people will come out of their houses at night and it will be safe. Almost like this picture, like you'll be able to sit down your front porch and watch the kids play and it will be good and it will be safe. There's all these magnificent visions and pictures of the kingdom of God. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? Just watch Jesus, listen to Jesus. Look at Jesus' life. Look at what he says. Look at what he does. Look at how he does it. That's a snapshot and a picture, an example to us of what God's reign looks like in everyday life. Jesus even gave like a, a cool picture of it, um, Luke 4. You guys remember this moment? Jesus, he's, he, he's been baptized, he's been tested, he's proclaimed the kingdom. Um, and he goes into the temple, the synagogue, and he, they hand him a scroll. And he turns to a, a certain spot in Isaiah and he says this says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were upon him in that moment. And they fastened on him, it says. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what, it, that, that's what it looks like when God is reigning. People who are held captive are set free. Whether they're physically held captive, mentally held captive, emotionally held captive, they're set free. Blind people, whether they're blind physically, spiritually, mentally, they, they, they suddenly see. I mean, it, it, it's good news. The favor of the Lord is upon you. The kingdom of God is where wrongs are made right, broken things fixed, enslaved people set free. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says this. I I referenced it earlier. He says, "You, you who've been redeemed, and if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you've been redeemed. You who have been redeemed, you've been transferred from the dominion of darkness, and you've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus, into the kingdom of Jesus which means you now share Jesus' kingdom mission. In, in Luke 17, 20 through 21, kind of wrap up with this. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, this is Jesus, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and he said this, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. Think about this. If Jesus is the king, and he is, and if Jesus is in you, and he is, then wherever you go, whatever you do, you bear the kingdom of God with you. You bring the kingdom of God with you. You and I are kingdom bearers. We, we bear the kingdom of God wherever we go. I mean, do we ever stop to reflect and think and understand and recognize the power and the responsibility and the possibility that we have in us to transform the people and the world around us? 
Jesus says the kingdom of God, it, it, it's okay if it starts small. It's kind of like a mustard seed. It's really tiny, but it grows into something big and strong. He, he says the kingdom of God, it's sort of like a little bit of leaven mixed in with the dough. And, and over time, it just begins to permeate and change and, and transform the people and the world around you. Victory point. As a family, our vision and our mission is to bring, to bear the kingdom of God to our family, to our community, and to our world. We bear the kingdom of God when we obey the king. Obeying the king is bearing the kingdom. You bear the kingdom of God when, when you, remember Isaiah 65? When you bring a child into your home and give them a home, you are bearing the kingdom of God. When you, when you visit an elderly person who's all alone, you bear the kingdom of God. When you see someone alone in the lunchroom at work and you do something about it, you bear the kingdom of God. When you become aware of, of hungry people in your neighborhood, in your school, in another school around you and you do something about it, you bear the kingdom of God. When, when you offer your, remember Isaiah 65, when you offer your employees a fair wage and are fair with them, you bring the kingdom of God. When, when you don't contribute to broken, oppressive systems, you bear the kingdom of God. When, when, you, when you walk with somebody who's held captive to an addiction and, and you help them discover freedom, you, you participate in and you partner with God in bearing the kingdom of God. I love the ways this church does it together. I think about our missional communities. When you, week in and week out, you know, give food and then pack food so that kids at, over 100 kids a week at a school can have food to eat on the weekend, you bear the kingdom of God. When you mentor kids at an alternative high school and make sure they have food and clothing, you bear the kingdom of God. When you come alongside kids who are sort of you know, middle school kids who are marginalized and, and challenged and, and you, you love them and you play with them and you tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and you feed them, you bear the kingdom of God. When you show up at a, at a senior citizen's facility and you play games and you, you bless the staff, you bear the kingdom of God. When you mentor you know, men and women who, who are, are trying to get their life back together, you bear the kingdom of God. I want to invite the band up. But I just want us to think about this as we conclude this morning. The king has come. We, we, we just celebrated his birth recently. The king has come, and the king is coming again. Here's a question to ponder right now. How will he find us? When the king comes back in his, and brings the fullness of his kingdom to bear, how will the king find us? How will the king find you? How will the king find me? Will he find us par- partnering, participating, bringing and bearing the kingdom of God with all that we have till our last breath, till he returns? Or is he going to find us just being casual about this mission? And Jesus has some very specific parables uh, that, that he really speaks some challenge to us about that. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will take care of themselves. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
So I just want to ask you, Victory Point, this morning, as we start a brand new, fresh year together, how is God getting your attention this morning? How, how, what's God bubbling up in you right now? How's he convicting you? How's he stirring you? How is he inspiring you right now? And I want you to take a moment before we leave this place to receive that, to not dismiss that. Is there an area in your life that you have not submitted to the king? Is there an area or something in your life that you are withholding from the king's lordship that maybe you need to speak to God about that this morning and surrender that? Is there places that, that stirred up in your mind or people that stirred up in your mind where you know that the kingdom of God needs to be brought? And maybe God's inviting you, inspiring you, convicting you to bring it because here's the deal ponder this every moment of our lives we are either participating in and contributing to our father's kingdom or the enemy's kingdom one or the other those are the two kingdoms at war and and, and if if we've been rescued and redeemed we need to understand that, that it's not just biding time till we get to heaven. We, we participate and partner with Jesus in bearing the kingdom and bringing the kingdom and, and bringing the reign of God into any place it's not. God is expecting us moment by moment, inch by inch to advance his kingdom until he returns. So we're just gonna be quiet. These guys are gonna sing a little bit. And uh, as you reflect this morning, I just want to invite you, if you're here this morning and, man, I need to pray with somebody right now, I encourage you to pay attention to that. And uh, as they start, as they sing a little bit, like, make your way over to that corner. And if you're somebody here this morning, man, I'll pray with somebody. Go over to that corner, okay? Maybe as you're reflecting on the bearing of the kingdom of God in your life, if you need to just get low and get quiet like Dwight was talking about, if you need to just kneel at your chair, you can do that. If you need to just sit there quietly and speak to God, do that. If you, as you sit there, just want to sing along, do that. Whatever it looks like for you to respond, do it. Just don't miss it. Don't walk out of here having not received from the Lord what he's saying to you in deciding what you're going to do about it. Just reflect, respond.